This is the Contractor's Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Contractor's Corner podcast by Solar Power World. I am Kelly Pickerel, Editor-in-Chief of Solar Power World. Solar Power World is the solar industry's leading magazine and news source for solar installers across the United States. And so if you don't already have your free subscription, just visit us at solarpowerworldonline.com to get all of that information. So I'm coming to you. It's the week of September 20th, 2021, and this is technically supposed to be the week of Solar Power International. The big show was going to be in New Orleans this year, but of course it was canceled because of COVID and hurricane activity. So I'm hoping this podcast will kind of be a good replacement to getting some in-person meetings down at SPI, but we'll definitely be talking to people all week online. There's still going to be a lot of good virtual sessions related to SPI this week and, you know, hoping to see some new products that we're still planning to be unveiled on the show floor. We'll, we'll get to share that news on our website, so make sure you follow along all week. So before we get into this month's interview with Aurora Energy, they are a solar installer based out of the Washington, D.C. area, wanted to talk a little bit about our cover story for Solar Power World for the September issue and just kind of what's going on in the industry right now. And in fact, uh, our guest from Aurora Energy talks about this at the, the end of the podcast interview. What I'm mostly getting into is tariffs and all of the different things that are going on in the solar industry right now. Our cover story for September is about the, the 10-year battle, the polysilicon battle going on between the United States and China and kind of how that's led to some new developments in the past few weeks that I really think um, everybody needs to be aware of. So what am I talking about? I think in the past few years, everybody's been kind of familiar with the Section 201 tariffs that have been placed on imported solar panels and cells coming into the United States. That was a four-year step-down tariff schedule that was implemented by the Trump administration, kind of in an attempt to boost U.S. solar manufacturing to kind of give U.S. solar panel manufacturers uh, a chance at competing against some of the cheaper imported panel prices that are that are coming into the country. And the four-year tariff is set to expire in February 2022. So there is actually now a review of whether those tariffs should be extended. So that is one thing that we have to keep in mind. But also we can't forget about the original tariffs that were placed um, specifically on Chinese solar panels and cells back in 2012. So those were the anti-dumping countervailing duties that have kind of been running in the background for the last 10 years, just on Chinese imports. That set up this kind of back and forth that's been going on for the last decade between the United States and China around solar, around polysilicon, and it just keeps going and going. And I get into a lot of the hows and whys in the story that's in our September issue, and it is online now. And it's just about that battle between the U.S. and China over polysilicon and how it's kind of affected our whole market going forward, and especially our domestic manufacturing market. So I bring that all up because there is a new petition that's been filed with the Department of Commerce to kind of look into these original tariffs and it's affecting solar prices 
right now and they're actually going to probably come out with a decision on September 30th so this is happening right now but the thing that just came out so there's this new group it is anonymous solar companies they have filed a petition with the Department of Commerce they are asking the department to investigate Chinese silicon solar panel manufacturers who are working in Malaysia, Thailand, and Vietnam because this group is saying that they are working in those countries as a way to avoid those original 2012 anti-dumping and countervailing duties. So they're basically asking for very specific companies working in these countries, specifically Jinko Solar, Long Eye, JA Solar, Canadian Solar, Trina, Tailsun, Astra Energy, and Boviet Solar. There's there's a number of others, but they're they're on our website. So the group is saying that these are all Chinese manufacturers, and they're working in Malaysia, Thailand, and Vietnam to avoid the original duties, and that they want solar panels, solar exports from those countries to be prevented from coming into the United States. And so the Department of Commerce is planning to make a decision, hopefully by September 30th. And I was attending a webinar by SIA, um, kind of explaining what's going on. And basically, any panels that are coming from those countries right now that are maybe in the water right now or in ports right now waiting to get delivered to, you know, all of the installers that are trying to get these panels installed, if this, if a tariff or a ban comes down on September 30th, like, it's already too late. Stuff is already being held at ports. So if, if these tariffs come through, I mean, prices, prices are going to shoot up. And so we really have to pay attention to what's going to happen at the end of this month. And I've already been hearing from companies saying that prices are already outrageous. Um, you'll hear Aurora Energy talk about it at the, the end of this podcast, but things are already happening right now. So there's a lot of stuff that we need to keep an eye on. So there's this petition with the Department of Commerce. There's, of course, the review of the original, the, the 201 tariffs that is coming. So we might continue to have price fluctuations going forward. So I just ask that you guys definitely pay attention. Um, if you are part of some advocacy groups, if you can reach out to your Congress people and just kind of get the word out about what these tariffs and all everything, what, what that means for the solar industry and for your jobs. I've been fortunate to visit two solar panel manufacturers um, in the last month. I, I got to go to First Solar in Northwest Ohio. They were having a groundbreaking for their third facility that they're building. And of course, First Solar makes thin film solar panels. That's, you know, not the crystalline silicon that is common to the industry and kind of what the tariff battles are actually over but still first solar during their their groundbreaking ceremony they talked a lot about china and trying to compete with china and that's just a very big theme throughout the industry um, i also got to visit crossroads solar they're a new outfit out of um, south bend indiana they're very small very boutique um, they, they might have a capacity of six megawatts um, they kind of have a, a, a bigger message around employment and local economies there, but they are starting up right now through COVID and through all of these supply issues. And that's what they're saying. They're having trouble, you know, getting solar cells in. And then once they get the solar cells in, 
then they're having trouble getting the glass and right now they're actually having trouble getting frames so even in a small you know outfit like that they're they're having issues right now and there's just so much uncertainty around tariffs and and all of that so it's a uh, it's you know it's kind of the solar coaster that's what goes on in this industry but i just ask everyone to kind of Stay vigilant and, and keep up to date on, on all the news that's happening with tariffs because I think it is kind of definitely going to be a talking point for the next year or so within the industry. So make sure you follow Solar Power World as we cover this news and keep you all up to date. Okay, that's enough from me. <laughs> so here is this month's interview with Aurora Energy. Thanks for listening. edition of Contractors Corner. Today we're talking with Cord Briggs. He is Managing Director of the Washington DC Office of Aurora Energy, a largely commercial solar installer that's been around since 1994. So thanks for joining me today, Cord. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kelly. Glad to be here. Okay, so yes, been around since 1994. Aurora Energy has, you know, that lengthy company history. So tell me about how the company got started. Yeah, so, you know, as folks in the solar industry know, um, not many folks can really say they were founded back in 1994. I talked to other, like, trades, plumbers, electricians, and such, and they kind of scoff. But uh, mm-hmm. in the solar industry, that is, you know, really a long time. Um, so, you know, really all the credit goes to the founder of the company, CEO, uh, Fairbors Majori, who is still uh, running the company. And, you know, he was a very and is a very forward thinking person. And back in 1994, he identified a uh, kind of new technology that was coming onto the scene, uh, which had a lot of promise, which was solar hot water. So that was kind of his first um, iteration of the company, did a lot of solar hot water installations um, under the title Thermomax. Um, But kind of quickly, you know, as markets uh, evolved, uh, transitioned into doing, uh, you know, PV as well, photovoltaics. Um, So, you know, did a number of installations for government clients who, you know, back in the uh, mid-90s, you know, price uh, (laughs) was very expensive to install uh, uh, PV. Um, So he was kind of following, and that's the case always for Roar Energy, following the market. So went to those kind of special government clients like the White House, Pentagon. Um, From there, really started focusing on the residential market. That was the next uh, kind of profit pool that was out there. And uh, since 2016, we've been focused um, exclusively on the uh, commercial space. Gotcha. Yeah, why did you decide to switch that focus to just commercial in 2016? Yeah, so definitely has to do with um, seeing the evolving market. you know, there are a lot of players that were coming into the res- uh, residential space um, who had a kind of different model than Aurora Energy. You know, we've always been a somewhat um, small business, um, you know, just focused on the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia uh, region. So, you know, we didn't really want to compete on, you know, just scale, you know, doing thousands of projects. You know, we really wanted to offer customers the best solution. And we were excited about the uh, commercial space. Um, it's still, you know, one of the most underserved spaces in the PV industry. Um, you know, some research that I've seen shows that only about 3.5% of all commercial buildings to this day 
have installed solar, which is just just super, super low when you mm-hmm. consider like the economic returns and the, the upside that folks can get um, from installing solar. So, um, you know, we wanted to really focus in on quality and address that uh, underserved market. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, since you're in the D.C. area, you mentioned, you know, working with the White House. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about some interesting projects you've worked on and, and what it's like working with government agencies. Yeah. So, you know, we don't do that much work with uh, the government anymore. You know, we're much more focused on private um, uh, companies, but um, certainly we still have some ongoing maintenance contracts with uh, different uh, government uh, uh, clients. And, you know, that's, it's good and it's bad. It's challenging. There's, you know, it's very difficult to, uh, you know, as as anybody knows, to respond to those RFPs. You know, we're more excited uh, these days about um, some new innovations that we're working on around, uh, you know, new models and, and new types of installations. So things like um, community solar, mm-hmm. uh, really, really big in the D.C. market and the Maryland market. So it's something that Aurora Energy in the past has not been uh, involved with. Right now, we're developing a couple of projects that um, are community solar, and it's um, it's just a a great way to unlock a lot of uh, rooftops out there, such as shopping centers or you know, agricultural land, um, where previously there wasn't a good way to serve uh, uh, customers who, who had those kind of assets. Um, you know, we're also looking at, um, you know, and have been doing uh, projects um, that actually involve installing solar on facades. So, uh, you know, the uh, external shell of buildings, you know, probably the, the, the biggest one that we did was United Therapeutics, but we're doing another one right now in D.C., you know, that's something uh, that not many folks know how to do, and it's an exciting uh, kind of growth opportunity. And then, you know, we're even starting to do green roof plus solar integration, wow. <laughs> which is, um, you know, something uh, that, you know, requires a lot of coordination between, uh, you know, obviously folks who are installing the green roof and doing waterproofing as, as well as, um, you know, ourselves who are installing the solar. And with those installations, we actually have the green roof itself um, act as the ballast. Uh, uh, for the solar. So, um, you know, not so much with government these days, but all sorts of new things happening in the commercial space. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to talk a little bit more about that installation at United Therapeutics in Silver Spring. We'll we'll have pictures on our website for everyone to check out, but like this project is very intense. Like it is a little over one megawatt and there's like solar on the roof, the facade, like you said, there looks like there's even some carport situation. I say it looks like solar threw up, but it's like in the best way. So I'm wondering, <laughs> how did you get involved with designing this project? Yeah, so, you know, that was a little bit um, before my time with Aurora. Um, but, you know, from what I picked up, um, you know, it was an RFP that um, was put out by Whiting Turner, you know, one of the largest GCs in the area here. It's uh, really active, building a lot of uh, different projects. And, you know, there weren't many solar companies who were kind of lining up to throw their hat in the ring here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this, like you said, it was a very challenging project and, you know, really took a lot of custom engineering. You know, a lot of um, solar providers out there and, and, and different projects that are done, um, you know, I don't want to say they're entirely cookie cutter because every solar project has its own um, complications, but you know, very few require the amount of uh, custom engineering work and, um, you know, integration with different trades that we really had to put together to execute um, this kind of project. 
Um, so we're really proud of that one. It's, it's nice that it's in downtown Silver Spring because you can just kind of, you know, be driving Silver Spring and go, whoa, <laughs> yeah. what is that? And, uh, it's, you know, it's really a, it's a very striking installation. <laughs> My next question was, like, what kind of sets Aurora Energy apart from other commercial installers? But is it is it kind of that, that you're willing to take on some customized situations and, and put in that engineering? Yeah, definitely. That's one of the, the big things that we point to. I mean, you know, it's related to why we were founded back in 1994. You know, we've always had an orientation doing, you know, what's difficult, what's new, uh, the cutting edge. Um, so, you know, we'll take on, you know, right now I have a project that's, you know, we, we like to focus on, on larger projects like any contractor, but uh, we will take smaller ones. So I got a, a, you know, 50 kilowatt job right now that has an, an elevated racking solution to go over some you know, HVAC units. Um, has a kind of standard small ballasted uh, system and then has a um, completely uh, non-penetrating solution for a pitched roof. So it's got three different types of racking in in a 50-kilowatt small office building um, installation. So, you know, we're willing to, you know, put in the extra work there. We also really focus on finding the best uh, financing solution for folks, and that's really important in today's market. you know, we are not a financial player, which um, has its upsides and downsides. But really, the, the big upside is that we're agnostic. We can go, you know, work with a, a PACE provider to amortize a, uh, a solar project uh, through property bills. We can go to a, you know, community solar lease provider and offer that to a client, a PPA provider, a lease, a loan. Um, there's lots of different financial options that, that we can offer. And, you know, we put the time in on the front end to make sure that clients understand those different options and, and can pick the best one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're doing a lot. You also offer O&M. I'm wondering what all is kind of involved with your O&M and how often do solar customers take you up on like preventative maintenance? Yeah, so, you know, we have a, a service department here. Um, you know, in terms of um, how often customers take us up, it, it really varies. You know, um, we're seeing more and more interest, especially when we work with developers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, developer is a long-term asset owner. They're oftentimes not in the region. So they really need someone to maintain assets that they own and install and have entered into a PPA agreement, say, uh, with, with, uh, with a building owner um, on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see a lot of those developers taking up our um, O&M offers. And then for customers, you know, it, it really varies. I mean, some of them have their own, you know, facility staff in-house. I mean, the nice thing about solar is as much as I'd love to say, you know, you must take our O&M offer, um, it's not necessarily the case. I mean, there's there's no moving parts besides sometimes a fan inside of uh, the inverter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about inert glass um, with sand in it, basically, right, silicon? Right. Um, so it, it's, it's a pretty uh, low-stakes, kind of uh, O&M project for a lot of, you know, fairly savvy customers, you know, folks in manufacturing or, um, you know, uh, people who have those on-site people uh, to take on. So, you know, it's not, I would say it's more common that when we, you know, sell direct to the owner that they'll actually do their own O&M for a while and then just contact us if something goes wrong and we'll do like an hourly rate. Mm -hmm. Great. Okay. What's the energy storage market like in your coverage area? Are you installing any batteries for commercial customers? It doesn't really exist. 
I mean, huh. as much as it kind of saddens me to say that, you know, I came from a previous company um, overseas where energy storage was was quite uh, interesting, especially for some uh, off-grid applications. But, you know, in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, I mean, there's some large um, kind of RFPs that Dominion is running for battery storage. So we're watching that closely. Um, but, you know, we're not really in the utility scale space. So that's mm-hmm. not really our cup of tea. Um, you know, I've had some clients who are, are very keen on it. You know, and, and the problem really comes down to commercial buildings have a lot of load. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, to economically be able to back that load up for resiliency purpose, you know, we're going to lose right now every single time to a generator. And the incentives in Maryland, D.C., um, they're, you know, Virginia, they're just not high enough to, to close that gap. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, it's something that we'd love to see the ability to, um, you know, play more in kind of the, uh, the the spot market and, you know, time of use tariffs and, and get involved there and bring in some battery intelligence and, you know, shave off some demand charge, um, especially in Dominion territory. But, you know, I just have not seen the use case as of yet uh, for the customers that I work with to do to do battery storage on a commercial building. Yeah. What do you what do you think is maybe going to push that? Is it does it have to be like at the incentive level? Does policy need to be passed in order for you know adoption to actually start happening? I would say yes. I mean the the, the places where you're seeing a lot of energy storage installed on commercial buildings is um, you know the markets of California mm-hmm. and uh, Massachusetts, right. and you know those are places that have very very strong. Um, energy storage incentives, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that's that's a pretty clear correlation there uh, yeah. between the two. And, you know, we're going to need it eventually as the penetration levels increase here. But, you know, our area, the, the uh, you know, the Atlantic area here is, is still pretty low in terms of the total solar capacity installed. So it's not, you know, it's not really a, a burning need, but as more and more solar gets installed, it's going to be something that, you know, policymakers are really going to need to uh, get in front of the curve on. Yeah, definitely. Well, since you're so invested in commercial solar, what what trends are you seeing? Are you like seeing any new advancements with flat roof installs, or are you using more bifacial panels? What are you What are you seeing? Well, I, I kind of touched on a couple of the things that uh, that we're excited about and interested in. You know, be that green roof applications. Yeah. I mean, you know, DC is such an interesting market to work in because, you know, speaking of government incentives, the uh, solar renewable energy credit or SREC is so high <laughs> that it kind of unlocks the potential to do a lot of very innovative things profitably. Um, so one of the things that I'm really excited about actually in the DC market and potentially in, in, in other markets as well um, is elevated solutions. So you see a lot of rooftops, multifamily apartment buildings, hospitals, hotels, um, where, you know, they may have, if you look at their kind of footprint, building footprint, a lot of square footage on their roof. But, you know, most of that square footage is going to be taken up with HVAC, piping, vents, you know, all the stuff that, you know, elevator shafts that goes into, you know, making those buildings work. Um so one really cool solution that we're pursuing on a number of DC projects right now is to actually lift up the solar like a canopy um, above that HVAC or, or rooftop equipment and really maximize the amount of uh, capacity that we're able to install for those customers. Because clearly 
I mean, you know, these guys have large electric loads. Um, and, you know, in D.C., it's very, very profitable to uh, to install. So, um, you know, it's a really good way to to help those clients out. Yeah. With these elevated situations, are you able to find products that you can use? Or are you kind of making custom mounting solutions? Yeah. So there's a number of um, providers in, in the marketplace. And, you know, I'll give a, a, a kudos to uh, Universal Renewables, um, Mark Ballantine, who really um, is doing very innovative things in D.C. Uh, with Elevated Solutions. So we work quite a bit with him. Um, also, you know, companies like more, you know, larger companies like SunMoto mm-hmm. um, also have a more kind of off-the-shelf um, solution uh, in, in SunTurf that, uh, that that can be used. Um, so, you know, it's really working through partners. But, you know, sometimes it takes, again, that custom engineering. You know, we have a uh, existing green roof that we're proposing to install solar on right now, which is something new. You know, we've done um, installations with green roofs where, you know, we install our solar at the same time as the green roof is being installed, which is a bit more straightforward. But when you have existing green roof, you don't want to remove that green roof. Well, we need custom attachments um, that can actually go through the green roof insulation layer down into, uh, you know, concrete to, to anchor the system. So that takes us uh, – uh, you know, puts us a little bit more in the center of that project to have to custom design a solution. Yeah. Huh. Well, I was looking through Aurora's social media and I saw that some Aurora execs recently met with this new solar installer that was starting up in Florida to give a few pointers. And I mean, that's, that's super nice. Do you see the community aspect in the solar industry is it is it collaborative are others generally down to help out is everybody welcoming in solar yeah i mean you know i would say we're in an interesting place in the solar industry where there is a lot of demand there's also a lot of challenges and there's not that many players at least in our marketplace so, you know, that does, you know, th- that set of market conditions does breed an environment uh, of collaboration. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's not uncommon for me to talk with some of our quote unquote competitors about a about a job, share information, share intel, share advice, talk about suppliers. Um, you know, and some of our suppliers, you know, being kind of in the position we are in the market are in some projects our competitor. Hey, that's, that's understood. Um it is interesting to see, you know, especially around community solar, um, you know, the different uh, niches that are that are popping up where, you know, to do a community solar project, I, you know, I sometimes feel like I have to get a village together. You know, it's um, a subscriber organization to sell the electricity. It's a consultant to help with the interconnection and working with Pepco and, and BG&E for that direct to grade connection. Um, you know, it's uh, different financial players. So you have to bring a lot of people together to to execute a community solar project, you know, civil contractors, uh, you know, regulatory experts. So, you know, it definitely feels very, very collaborative when you're all working together. You know, everyone has their own little niche that they're, they're fulfilling. Um, so, you know, is there competition? Sure. There, there definitely is. But um, I would say, you know, my, my belief, and, you know, I've never worked in another trade, but my belief as compared to other trades out there is that, you know, solar construction is, is probably more collaborative. Yeah. I mean, we're all just, you know, we have that feel-good message behind us. We just want to, you know, make the planet greener and and better. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. You know, a lot of folks have that kind of orientation. I certainly do. I, you know, came from a nonprofit background, and you know, that is, um, you know, that's part of, you know, probably the biggest reason, you know, why I do the work. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, that, you know, it, talk to some other folks who feel the same. Not everybody feels that way. Of course. Some, you know, some people are more strictly focused on the business, but um, <laughs> end of the day, you know, we all want to succeed um, and install more solar for whatever reason that really unites us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how can Aurora Energy be more successful? What improvements or changes, you know, within the solar industry would, would make that happen? Well, I mean, the biggest thing on my mind right now is kind of like an urgent uh, fire and concern. So modules uh, are becoming incredibly difficult to procure. There's so much uncertainty in the market right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just yesterday, you know, I had a, a kind of a, a unfortunate call with one of our module suppliers, and they're telling me that, you know, we can't accept any POs for the next 45 days. Oh, and, you know, our price is probably going to go up um, again, Oof. you know, in, in Q1 of next year. And, you know, that's due to a uh, uh, an action that's been brought, a petition that's been brought to the, the Commerce Department from three unnamed U.S. solar manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, requesting that there be a 240% tariff slapped on any panels that are coming out of Vietnam, Thailand, or Malaysia. And right now, that's where, you know, 80% yeah. of all the modules that are imported in the U.S. are coming from. So that, you know, we, we hope to have some resolution, some clarity about what's going to be happening by uh, September 30th. But it's like one thing after another with modules. I mean, you know, um, it, there's a lot of... Uh, imports that are being seized at, at the port right now by, by border patrol. Um, you know, there's a definite mismatch between what we're seeing in terms of, you know, these kind of actions on, on one hand and then the other hand, Biden and, uh, you know, the, the administration, there really saying they want to push solar and, you know, have a completely carbon neutral grid by 2035, you know, yeah. There needs to be some alignment between, you know, kind of made in America policy and, um, you know, focus on human rights, which is, of course, very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the goals that are out there, we have to do this in a smart way. I mean, we're already getting hammered on steel price, on copper price. Um, so it's really that is the biggest headwind that we're running up against right now. I mean, there are other things to touch on, you know, definitely like incentives and and government policy we're watching very closely um, to see what can come out with this new reconciliation bill, um, you know, $3 trillion reconciliation bill where there's discussion of putting in a 30% ITC for 10 years mm-hmm. um, and giving a cash option, which would be huge. I mean, we talked to a lot of either nonprofits or, you know, condo associations that don't have any tax liability to speak of. Um, that would be a, a really big win for us um, we're also watching um, you know what local counties are doing so Montgomery County has a very strong climate action plan and you know you see that um, you know they have a very active green bank as well so projects in Montgomery County um, you know while permitting costs are a bit higher than other counties uh, there is a lot of push there um, and a lot of support um, places like Howard County or you know our home county because we're based in Columbia Maryland um, still uh, oftentimes it's difficult to deal with. You know, it took us 
um, many, many, many months more than we expected to complete a ground mount project recently in Jessup, Maryland. Um, and that's, that's frustrating. We need streamlined permitting at the, the county level. You know, there's some exciting stuff happening with NREL doing kind of a, a virtual permitting app that, you know, Montgomery County has accepted. Now we need more counties to, you know, start accepting uh, that kind of uh, expedited permitting. And, uh, you know, we need support on, on getting specifically ground mounts through because, um, you know, places like Howard County or, you know, especially PG County, uh, Prince George's County are, are very, very challenging for us to work with in, in Maryland. Okay. Um, well, what can we expect from Aurora Energy in the next few years? We kind of have gone through a bit of a transition within our company. Um, you know, we had a couple of folks who really uh, were integral to our company running it for a number of years who left about two years ago. So, you know, there's this big transition uh, going from, you know, their leadership um, to, you know, um, myself and Farah Bors and, you know, our operations director, Simone, really running things. Um, and then last year, obviously, was <laughs> incredibly challenging uh, due to COVID. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're in a, a really a rebuild uh, mindset right now. And, and we're doing that. We're starting to see the, the, the numbers roll in that we, we need, getting back to pre-pandemic levels. So that's been the, the big focus is, uh, you know, getting back to where we were before, uh, you know, 2020. Um, you know, moving forward, um, you know, I think we really do want to stay focused in on, on our core market of, you know, Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity in those markets. Um, you know, D.C. because this wonderful SREC um, that's out there. Um, Maryland, there's just so many commercial properties that haven't gone solar yet. Um, and Virginia is a very exciting market. I mean, I've seen some projections that, um, you know, the DG market in Virginia is expected to grow, you know, 2,000% in the next 30 years, um, you know, starting from a pretty low base, but that's still a big number. Um, so, you know, the SREC that is supposedly coming in Virginia will will definitely help that, that growth. Um, and, you know, we really want to be the, the kind of the go-to uh, EPC in, in these markets. You know, that's, that's a great goal for us. You know, we've been around uh, basically longer than anyone else in this market. You know, I think our focus on quality installations, you know, really good customer service uh, positions us well to, to continue to grow and, um, you know, go even beyond where we were in, in 2019. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Okay. I wish you luck and, and thanks so much for talking to me today. Let me get to know Aurora Energy. Really appreciate having you on the show. Sure. Great to be here and, you know, encourage folks to, you know, check out our website and any questions at all. I'm sure the uh, information to contact me will be shared in the, in the show notes. Please, please do so. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as editor Kelly Pickerel chats with solar installers across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online to hear more great podcasts, view industry videos, and read our great editorial content. SolarPowerWorldOnline.com. See you back here next month.